Well, it's brilliant to be here. Uh, just uh, jumped in the car, driven straight from the uh, in-person service at Guilt Park. Let me just say, if you haven't been to an in-person service at Guilt Park, it may be a bit of a travel for some of you, uh, especially if you're on another continent. But um, I would just, if you can get there, I would just encourage you to get there, especially if you haven't been. Uh, there were people in tears this morning just saying, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten what it's like to just be gathered with God's people in a physical space together, singing together. Um, and so I would just really encourage you. If you're thinking, I, I don't know why I'd even bother, then maybe it's even more urgent for you. So just uh, would love to see you there. It's, it's really, really precious what the Lord's doing in those spaces. So we are starting a brand new series today. A six-week series looking at the early life of King David. And so uh, if you've got a Bible with you, it'd be fantastic if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, we're just going to be working our way through a few chapters of 1, chapter six, uh, 1 Samuel 16 over the next uh, six weeks. Just as you're finding that, let me just explain to you what the kind of the premise or the point of this series is. Uh, when I was a kid, maybe seven or eight years old, uh, for my birthday, I got a book. Some of you will have had the book as well. It was like a, a book of how to make loads of different kinds of paper aeroplane. And it, for me, that was like the best possible present that I could have had. And it was so brilliant. I just remember every day, every day without fail, even when, like, when I'm in bed at night, I'm just like still just flicking through and just planning what I'm going to build the next day. And then, and then every day, I'm just taking out reams and reams of paper and unfolding things. I'm just trying to get the, the perfect example of every, every paper aeroplane to go up on the shelf. And then when I've made every single one, I said to my family, hey, let's go up to the top of the hill and let's all just take paper, paper airplanes with us and let's see which one goes the furthest. And so like, I managed to persuade my entire family, my mum, my dad, my brother, my sister, myself, and, and we had a paper airplane in each hand. And then we went to the top of the hill and we threw them off. And then all we wanted to know was, where are they all going to land? We're just staring intently at the ground. Like, where, where are they going to land? And the point is, doesn't it feel like so much of our lives is up in the air right now and we're waiting to see where it's going to land? You know, so much of our previous lives uh, that we had invested our energy and our value in, the things that we'd cared about, the things that we'd been achieving and involved with, it's like it's all gone up into the air. And what we want to really know is, how's it all going to land? In our lives, we've never known a season of transition like this. You know, just, I mean, I'm just thinking about, obviously, COVID, the COVID crisis. Seems like nobody knows where it's going to land. But, but that isn't the only crisis. There's an environmental crisis, a mental health crisis, an economic crisis, uh, a crisis in terms of drugs and all these kind of other things. Our, our world is in transition right now. Our our nation is in transition. Our, our region is in transition. And, and for so many of us, we personally are in transition. Tra so much has gone up in the air in terms of our work life or our relationships or our families. There's so much. We just wanted to see where it's all going to land. Our church is in transition. You know, for 17 months, it's amazing what the Lord's been doing in, uh, online with this uh, 
Catalyst Live and, and before that Church at Home and all the stuff that people have been doing to serve the communities uh, that we're represented in. Uh, and yet we just don't know how this is all going to land. There's so much uncertainty about what lies ahead for us as a family. And so we were looking for a, a kind of a section of Scripture that would speak into this season of turbulence and transition. And where we settled on was the early life of King David because uh, here is someone who for uh, 15 years is in transition. You know, it seems like the scholars think that, that he was aged between 10 and 15 when he was selected and anointed as the king of Israel. We're getting that from the fact that the Hebrew word for youth that is used in the, the story of David and Goliath is a pre-adolescent teenager and a whole bunch of other kind of evidence to support that as well. So between 10 and 15 years old when he's anointed as king, and then it's, uh, he's age 30 when he's approved and appointed as the king. So 15 years he lives his life kind of knowing roughly where uh, his life is going, but having no sense about how it's going to land. And yet what we're going to learn over the next six weeks is that even though in so many ways uh, he looks like he's at the mercy of his circumstances and other people and uh, things going on in his life, actually he's never without choices of his own. And so we're going to be looking at what choices can we make, what habits can we live out of, what routines can we put in our life, how can we respond uh, to difficult situations and so on. The choices that we make in these moments are really important. And so I'm excited about what this is going to look like. Um, I've said uh, already, th this is, a, is going to be a series for anyone who has an unfulfilled call. Maybe you have a sense of what God's calling you to. You're not sure where that's going. Uh, an unexpected transition, which is probably all of us. An incomplete soul. You know that there's something that the Lord is wanting to do in your own heart and life. Or a complicated life. So there's something for everyone. Uh, I think, honestly, I'd encourage you to invite your friends to join us online or come in person. Uh, and who knows what the Lord might do amongst us. So with all of that, that was the world's longest introduction. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that's the eldest son. Surely the, Lord, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. 
Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Samuel had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but uh, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, are, are these all the sons you have? Well, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. At face value, you might say that this is a simple historical story, right? This is it's about 1000 BC, and the Lord is looking for the next king. He's, a, he's choosing David. And you could say, well, this is just like David's origin story. You know, this is like in The X Factor, when they send the film crew back to their house, you know, and it's like, well, let's see how they live and what their background is and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you, and so we could easily be forgiven for thinking this is an engaging but quite straightforward, simple story. But actually what I've come to love about this story as I've studied it is its complexity and its richness. So let me just give you one example. You know, if you were to just put the text to one side for a moment and I was to ask you, who's the hero in the story? You know, who's the main character? Who gets the starring role in this story? You might say, I think it's, I think it's Samuel. You know, Samuel is, is like the, the, the kingmaker, the prophet of the nation, and he's sent to this place. Or you might say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's, I, I can see why you think that, but really it's David, because, you know, David's like the hero of the story, and we're going to follow his journey over the next weeks or, or so. But that's not actually, if you have the text in front of you, then it's really, really clear that the starring role, that the, the, the primary person who we're supposed to focus on in this story is the Lord. He's the one. Verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And then it goes on, verse 2. I will show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. And you could follow that thread all the way through the text. God is present in every moment, in every situation, guiding every step. He's the, uh, the primary focus of this text. And if we understand that, that the Lord is taking the starring role, then the primary message of this text is not who is Samuel and how does he carry himself, and neither is it who is David and what's his backstory. The primary message of this text is who is the Lord? What does he care about? What does he look for? What's he hoping for? What's his desire for his people? And... So actually, this is a, 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 an incredibly theological text where we learn a lot about who God is. And I just want to point out four things today, four truths about who God is. You might say four truths for turbulent times. Um, and also, I've got some thoughts about how we might respond. The first truth is this. The Lord has a plan. 
at the top of my Bible, uh, of, of the passage in my Bible there, it said, Samuel anoints David. That's the title that is given there. But it could easily be, Samuel does what, exactly what he's told to do. And the reason is because it's really, really clear in the text that the Lord has, has planned this. He knows exactly who he's selecting. He's not taken by surprise by the fact that Saul, the previous king, has, has had a moral failure. He's not thinking, oh no, what do we do now? It's like, oh, I hadn't, hadn't expected that, hadn't thought of that. That's not, that's not what this passage is saying. And neither is the Lord taken by surprise by COVID or by anything that's happening in the world right now. He's not up in heaven scratching his head thinking, Oh, I wish I'd known that was going to happen. The Lord has a plan. He has a plan that includes us. A plan that includes his church, our church. He has a plan for every site. He has a plan for how we would uh, spend our time, what we would do for work, who we would marry. Uh, He has a plan for how we would spend our money. He has a plan for how we would invest our lives. And so if that's true, that the Lord has a plan, then clearly the appropriate response to that is to find out what the Lord's plan is and to align my life with his plan. Because the truth is that he's not the only one with a plan or an intention. The, you know, there's some other stuff going on, isn't there? The other thing is that the, en- our, our, the enemy, our enemy, Satan, the accuser, the father of lies, he also has an intention for your life. So we want to make sure that we don't follow a, a desire for our lives that ultimately will lead to, to you know, steal, kill, destroy. And, and the other thing is, not only is the God's got a plan for our lives, and not only has the devil got a plan for our lives, but also we've got our own plans and ideas and thoughts. And so we could just live our whole lives just doing whatever seems right to us. And yet, what does it say? Psalm 127, verse 1. Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house... The builders labor in vain. So we want to find out, God, what is it that you're asking of us in this turbulent moment, this moment of transition, and try and uh, stay in obedience to whatever that is. So that's the first thing. The Lord has a plan. The second thing is, the Lord prioritizes the heart. Now, unfortunately, Some of you have been in church for a really long time. And what that means is that you've been inoculated against the shock of this story. When you read this story, you're supposed to be like, what? You know, you can imagine Samuel thinking, all right, so so, uh, Saul didn't work out. What we need to look for now is someone who has been around places of influence, who's been around the royal courts, who understands how all this thing works. Or, you know, someone who's got some training in international diplomacy. Or someone who, who um, you know, ha- has led something before somewhere who can bring some experience to the thing. And yet what actually happens is the Lord takes Samuel and he makes him march past all the people of influence and power and authority and education, all the way out of the royal courts. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Miles and miles and miles into the distance he goes until he goes to this tiny little obscure village called Bethlehem. And then when he gets to Bethlehem, he like, he's looking for, for Jesse, but it turns out Jesse is not the king, even though he's the head of the household. And then he goes past the eldest son, who would be the obvious one, and then the next eldest, the next eldest, goes through seven sons until he finds David. Why? Because David's the one with the right heart. Supposed to be shocking. 
But, oh, we had no idea. The whole world is looking for people of influence, people of power, people of learning, education, people of experience. God isn't concerned with those things. What he's concerned about is the condition of our hearts. Now, that doesn't happen anywhere else, does it? You don't say, oh, I'm looking for someone to operate on my brain. You know, um, uh, it doesn't really matter if they've got any experience, if they've done that before. Like, you really want to know that. Or you don't say, oh, um, uh, I'm not bothered whether you've got a driving license and you're going to fly my plane. You, you know, it's like, uh, but the Lord wants us to know. It's supposed to be shocking. It's like, you know, the, the Lord of all the earth, he's chosen a people they're the people who are the vehicle of his blessing, to, not just to their nation, but all the nations of the earth. It's like the, the central role of salvation history is resting on this one leader of this one nation. And God says, I don't care if he's got experience. What I really want to know is, how's his heart? How's his heart? If we really believe that, if we hold that truth to be true, then again, we have to respond by saying, I'm going to pay attention to lots of things in my life, but the primary thing that I'm going to pay attention to is the condition of my own heart. So well, how am I going to do that? Well, you know, I've got an app on my phone which will tell me the temperature of my house. You know, I can monitor the temperature of my house on my phone. I can monitor the speed of my broadband on my phone too. I've even got a little gadget in my cupboard which can monitor the acidity of the soil in my garden, although I don't think it really works, but anyway, you know. But how do you monitor, how do you monitor the condition of your own heart? Well, the Bible tells us, I monitor the condition of my own heart by listening to my words. Jesus says this. I wonder where I am on my notes. Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if I want to know, how's my heart doing? What I need to do is listen to, what am I speaking? What words am I using? And so if I'm even with the people closest to me when other people can't hear, it's like even in a private moment, if I've... If I listen to my words and I'm saying words that are harsh or bitter or resentful or judgmental or gossipy or grumbling or complaining, if I'm hearing myself say things that are unhealthy, then what that needs to cause me to think is, oh my goodness, there's something going on in my heart that is not good and needs attention. Similarly, if when I'm, whoever I'm with, if what I'm speaking out is encouraging and kind, and is about honor, and hope, and love, then maybe the Lord is doing something in my heart after all. So I'm going to pay attention to my heart. Why? Because the Lord prioritizes the heart. That's the second thing. Next two are much quicker. Uh, number three, the Lord sees us. The Lord sees us. So Samuel is like this hugely influential person in the whole nation. So uh, he's a bit like a cross between the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Prime Minister and like Ed Sheeran or, or um, I don't know, like Kanye West or, you know, pick your celebrity. And so you've got this major, major person in the whole nation. Everyone knows who he is. And he comes to visit 
Bethlehem, and everyone is terrified because the scripture says they're trembling because they can't believe that someone so huge would come to visit them. And just imagine that Ed Sheeran or the Archbishop of Canterbury comes to your house, to your family home, to have dinner, and not only do you not even know about it, you're not invited, you're left out on the field. David is profoundly overlooked by everyone in this story, but he is not overlooked by the Lord. And what we learn from that is that you can never be unseen. The Lord sees you. Maybe that's just a word for some people right now. It feels like in your workplace or in your family or in church or uh, wherever, you're like, does anyone actually know that I'm here? And the wonderful thing is we don't need to strive to kind of be attention seekers to try and like, look, I'm here, I'm here. No, no, no. The Lord saw David and reached into his situation and raised him up. The Lord sees you. And then the last one is the Lord prepares us. The Lord prepares us. This is a moment where David is profoundly, being profoundly prepared for what comes next and he doesn't even know it. Uh, our great friend, dear friend, Mike Pilavachi, amazing leader, led the Soul Survivor Festivals for 27 years. And thousands and thousands and thousands of young people came to those festivals over those 27 years, a kind of a bit like DTI. And even in the last 10 years of those 27, more than 15,000 young people committed their lives to follow Jesus. I mean, it's just astonishing. And in his... Um, uh, he, he, he wrote a kind of a memoir, a biography, uh, autobiography, um, uh, called Wasteland, which, which talks about life in the desert, which is a, a, an experience that he uh, has a real affinity with. But, and, and he talks about his, his childhood, which was really, really troubled, very difficult, turbulent home life. His parents were Greek Cypriots. They didn't speak any English. They sent him to school. Imagine going to school on the first day and you don't understand a single word that anyone's saying, and you can't communicate to them in any way. And so he was very painfully shy, just used to walk around the playground at, at break times just to try and occupy himself, or he'd go and hide in the toilet. And then just before his 16th birthday, he came to know Jesus. And as he um, connected with Jesus, he immediately had this sense of, I'm called to be a pastor or a missionary or something like that. And he's like, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And so from that point on, he, everything he's doing, he thinks, I'm only just doing this temporarily because I'm going to be out in the mission field somewhere or whatever. And so he's like at university thinking, why am I here? I don't need this degree in accountancy. And then he goes to work as an accountant for Harvey Nichols in London. And he's saying to them, oh, I'm just only here temporarily. And they're like, no, no, have a permanent contract. Like, we can pay you for your holidays, and we can pay into your pension. He's like, honestly, I won't need it. I'm only here for a short time. He was there for eight years as an accountant. He didn't step into his uh, youth ministry role until he was age 29. And he wrote about that season of his life, which was incredibly painful. Real sense of abandonment, struggling with feelings of bitterness, self-pity, seasons of depression. And this is how he writes about it. He says, the worst of times can also be the best of times. While I was going through those eight wasted years, I would ask God regularly why he was taking so long to rescue me. Now my main question is, why did he not keep me there longer? 
In that time, my arrogance was dealt a mortal blow. My tendency to rely on my own resources and gifts were undermined so that I began to inquire of the Lord in a way that I had never done before. In the desert, I saw my ambition for what it was and eventually came to the place where I determined to seek God for myself whether I had a ministry or not. More than anything else, I found that when I came to the end of myself, I came to the beginning of God. And my point is this. What if my situation is my preparation? What if the circumstances I find myself in right now, as turbulent and chaotic as they might appear, what if somehow in the midst of this season, the Lord is preparing me? He's, he's causing me to become something different, to become somebody different, somebody new. What if he's doing something, he's bringing a silver lining out of these dark clouds? Because that's what he was doing for David. David is isolated, alone, abandoned, overlooked on a field outside Bethlehem. God sees him. David had no idea that being a shepherd of sheep was preparing him for being a shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. His situation was his preparation. And so these four truths, it seems to me, are incredibly important that we hold on to. These truths about who God is. He has a plan. He has a plan. I've lost all the other ones. He prioritizes the heart. He sees us. And he prepares us. Let's pray together. Lord, we just recognize that we're in a very challenging season right now of our lives. And so we're just going to lean into the truth that you have a plan, that the whole world is in your hands, that you're not taken by surprise, that you see us, you're using this season in some redemptive way to prepare us for what comes next. And we put our trust in you. We put our trust in you. And just as we're here together, it may just be that you've never done that before. You've never put your trust in God. You've never said to Jesus, Jesus, I recognize that your plan for my life is the plan that I want to follow. And I just want to make an opportunity for you right now. You may be watching us for the first time or you've been watching us for weeks or months, but you've never committed your life to God. I want to make an opportunity for you to do that. And so the way that you do that is uh, I'll say a prayer one line at a time. And you, wherever you are in the world, you can uh, pray that prayer along with me. You can be praying it in three days' time, that God is still there in three days' time. And if you're watching us live, you can just put something in the chat like, I'm doing this. I'm committing my way to God. I'm choosing God. Whatever language you want to use. But let's pray together. My Father in heaven, I'm so sorry I haven't lived my life with you or for you. I really want that to change. 
Father, I recognize that you have a plan for my life and I commit my way to following that plan. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross that obliterates my shame and my rebellion and my sin. I receive your forgiveness, Father. Please fill me with your spirit. Please, God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to live my life with you and for you from now on. Amen. Amen. And remember, if you've done that, please put something in the chat. Uh, also, head to the website and go to the uh, New to Faith section of the website. Um, over to the lovely Taryn and Jane. Also equally lovely. Wow. Brilliant. Very 